The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the second chapter. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Every Sunday, I close our service by blessing you. Um, it, maybe this is just something that you have heard so often or done so often that maybe you're, you don't even notice um, that this is something from the Old Testament, from the book of Numbers. It's Aaron's benediction or good word or blessing on the people of Israel. Because you see, the Lord appeared to Moses in a bush and revealed that his name, the good name, the good word, was Yahweh, or I am who I am, was, and ever will be, I am all things, Yahweh. Otherwise known as Lord, in all capital letters in the Old Testament. And Lord, as we sing throughout the liturgy and in hymns, Lord, as they call Jesus, the shared name of the Holy Trinity, the Godhead. And so ever since the Old Testament, Aaron had been blessing, putting God's name, Lord, bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine on you. Lord, be gracious to you. The triple name of God, the Lord, Yahweh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, on his people. And this is what makes a blessing. To put God's name and all the promises that follow with his name on his beloved people. I've been reading a lot of Russian literature in my free time. Almost as a challenge, my friend says, don't read Dostoevsky during the winter. It will make you sad. Little did he know that Dostoevsky makes me happy. And so, when Russian people come into a house or leave a house or whatever, they say, may Jesus Christ bless you. No matter who you are, no matter what station in life you are in, you give blessings and you receive blessings. This used to be a part of our culture as well. We even have a remnant of it. I remember when I was going to school in around junior high time, people were, began to be afraid to say, God bless you, after you would sneeze in class. That's when bless you started to roll around when we had to have it up to mystery, who is blessing us. We still wanted the blessing. We still wanted to be blessed by our friends and our family. But were we willing to have God's name attached to that blessing? Well, God's blessing when I bless you on Sundays, 
That is the good old-fashioned way. I'm putting God's name on you with my hand, with this cross shape to etch again onto your heart your baptismal blessing. So that when you walk out the door, when you enter the battle, when Satan begins to fight over you with the world, with your sinful flesh, and with Jesus, when they're all fighting over you once you walk out that door, I'm etching God's name onto you so that when they're fighting, Jesus can grab you and say, she's mine. Jesus can grab you and say, he's mine. And then the devil might say, oh, he's yours. I don't see your name on him. And then Jesus will point to your heart. And your heart will say, you are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus will say, my name My triple name is on this person's heart. They are mine. They are property of Yahweh, Lord of hosts, Almighty God, Adonai, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus. And so every time you are blessed, God's name is retraced on your heart even when you bless yourself. I just watched the new Pinocchio movie with my wife this Christmas Eve. And what does Pinocchio, Geppetto, and the cricket do before they eat dinner? They say, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. They bless themselves before they bless their bread. Names are hard to decide on. My wife and I, now a month away from adopting our new hamster, still have not chosen a name. We even have seen his personality. It's a boy now. We see how it behaves. We see how it acts, but we still can't decide on a name. It has to be right. Parents have told me stories of poring over name books for months for their baby. And then when they get to the hospital, they're basically, you know, hamstrung by the nurse in being like, come on, just write something down. We can't let you out of here if you don't just put something on the birth certificate. Pick something. And oh, when you hear Gen X and down, parents saying, no, this name needs to perfectly fit my baby's personality. Or it needs to perfectly be an extension of my own personality. What do I see when I see my baby's face? I picked a very strong name, but he looks smaller than I imagined. So isn't it strange that Mary and Joseph 
did not have that problem. Not for one second. Not for one second. Joseph never went to the library and checked out one baby name book. No. The angel appeared to Mary, also to Joseph in a dream, and laid it out. You will call his name Jesus. Why? He will save his people from their sins. A tall order for a little baby. How would he do it? How would he save his people from their sins? Would he be a great preacher or teacher or Pharisee or Sadducee? Would he be a righteous king that set the perfect example for the people under him? No matter what, he'd have to start out humbly and in a small way because he'd start out small. He'd be a baby, not doing much at all. Long ago, faithful Abraham was promised by God favor, overwhelming blessing, descendants as many as sand on the seashore or stars in the sky. He was promised a son even though he was childless, even though he was old. In the same way that Adam and Eve were promised a son. And what's so unique is, when they're promised a son, it's for a particular task. God says, you will be given a son who will crush the head of the serpent. And in your cursed sinful state will redeem, buy you back, save you from your sin that you have brought into this world. And Satan's head will be crushed once and for all by his heel, though that serpent will snap at and harm this chosen son. And all throughout the Old Testament to have faith in this promise of God granted salvation to all who believed. It's awesome. Just to believe that simple promise of God gave you eternal salvation and life with this God who loves you so much that he made that promise. Yet for men who would believe that promise, they were to show that they had faith. By an outward sign, in a very permanent way, a permanent marking of the flesh, otherwise known as circumcision. Now, I know that my confirmands know what circumcision is, because when I talk about it, they turn red. And so I'm just going to assume that everyone here knows what circumcision is, because I've heard stories of vicarage interns at seminary who give like demonstrations and diagrams and videos and it doesn't turn out well. But anyway, circumcision is a cutting cutting away both physically and symbolically the flesh. Specifically the sinful flesh inherited from Adam and Eve. And so what this would mean would 
be that every Hebrew male, when he looks down throughout the day, most likely, he would be constantly reminded that he is different from other men. He's set apart. He's holy. God wants him to live in a certain way that other people are not asked to live. And so this was done on the eighth day of one's life. So think, seven days in a week, seven days of creation. The seventh day, Saturday, would be the Sabbath, for that's when God rests from his six days of work. And so God extends that rest to human beings created in his image to rest with him on the seventh day, Saturday. And so then the eighth day is Sunday, and it is the beginning of a new week. It's also the first day. And so the circumcision on the eighth day would be the beginning of not only a new week, but of a new life, made new by God, set apart from other people by God, to hold to a promise by faith. And so our Lord Jesus, born to devout parents, is brought to Yahweh's temple in Jerusalem to be circumcised according to the law of Moses. And so like all men before him, Jesus would be circumcised, would be set apart, would be marked, would be assured that he would inherit everything promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. All of those blessings would be Jesus's. Only things would get weird quick. For Jesus is the temple. We learn that Christmas Day in John 1. God no longer lives in temples made of human hands, of stones, no matter how impressive they are. The eternal word that is God has become flesh and tabernacles among us. In the person Jesus. And now, wherever infant baby Jesus goes, that's where the temple is. Wherever Jesus wanders, whether it be the desert, whether it be the streets of Nazareth, whether it be the throne room of heaven, whether it be on the altar in your church whether it be in the pulpit at your church, that's where Jesus is and where he promises to be. Another problem. This boy does not have sin. None. Jesus does not bite his mom while she's breastfeeding him. Jesus does not pull Mary's favorite knickknacks off display shelves when their friends are over visiting, breaking priceless treasures. He's sinless the same way Adam was created to be sinless, 
but Jesus will never fall away. And so instead, Jesus begins to do things perfect for you. He is perfectly obedient to his father and his father's commands and his will for you. He is circumcised, but instead of his old Adam being cut away, your old Adam, your old Eve is cut away. This eighth day after Christmas, Jesus begins to shed his perfect, precious, innocent blood as sacrifice for you. What a special hymn we got to sing. You know, like what, every seven years, maybe? Every seven years, the circumcision of Jesus falls on January 1st, Sunday. And we get to sing this special verse, verse 4. Jesus' name of mercy mild, given to the holy child, when the cup of human woe first he tasted here below. Jesus tastes that deep, deep cup of suffering in the smallest way on this day, this eighth day of his circumcision. The tiniest amount of blood has begun to be shed by the God-man Jesus for you. Circumcision is a joining of God's words, God's promises, and God's name to action and physical things in this world. Yes, men would receive their name the day that they were circumcised, but they would also receive God's triple name in blessing, that same blessing that I bless you with each Sunday, the same blessing read by beloved Charlie. The day Jesus was circumcised, he received God's name, but in a way more so than any person could before that day because it became Jesus's personal name more than a blessing. Jesus, or Yahweh, will deliver his people from their sins became Jesus's name. God's words, God's name began to take action, but real redemptive action in the world. And yes, the perfect blood of Jesus shed at his circumcision only pointed to his final shedding of his blood on the cross for his people as a sacrifice. But that redemptive action would need to be brought to climax on Mount Calvary. Jesus, helpless, nailed to a cross where he would pour out blood and water as sacrifice for your sin. The blood and water pouring out and washing over you so that regardless of your race, black, white, Jew, Gentile, regardless of your sex, boy or girl, Regardless of your socioeconomic class, rich, poor, you are circumcised, but not with human hands, not with a knife. 
but by being joined to Jesus Christ's entire life and being, his death, his resurrection, by his mighty hand alone. Your flesh was not cut away. The evil desires of your heart were cut away. And that hurts much more than the flesh being cut away. For the evil desires of your heart are more pleasing and feel better. But now Christ lives in you by his spirit. Now you are his temple. The first thing he shares with you. Like he, you are now his temple. Yes, baptism has replaced circumcision. Check out Colossians chapter 2. It is a fuller, more inclusive, redemptive action of our Lord in this world, which joins his word and his name to his beloved created world. You are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You are a Christian. You belong to Jesus. There's no dispute. You are God's son now, no matter who you were before, even you know. There's no male or female. You are a son now. You will inherit what the Lord has given you. If God ever delighted in sacrifice, it was in this shedding of Christ's blood in his temple because he's perfect. But by your baptism, by God's hand, you are joined to Christ's sacrifice, to his death, to his resurrection. Romans chapter 6. Instead of circumcision on the eighth day, you are joined to Christ's resurrection and eternal life on the eighth day, Easter Sunday, eternal daylight, no more suffering, no more eternal death, no more you die, the light leaves your eyes and you're gone. No, now you live eternal with your Savior, no more darkness. We are joined to his name, which is above all names, the name that every tongue will confess as the scriptures uh, say, as our hymn we sung. And on the last day, every knee shall bow to this name, Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Mary, son of God, who has saved his people from their sins and gives you the benefits of that death and resurrection in specific ways. His word, baptism, absolution, the Lord's Supper. And so now everything he has, dominion, glory, life eternal, is promised to us. It's promised to us, yes, but it doesn't remain a promise. It will be ours on the last day of the resurrection of all flesh. And on that day... There will be no need of cutting away flesh. For you will be made perfect. You will be glorious. 
by the name you received alone. The name by which you were marked in your baptism, Jesus. This is a name that was not difficult to decide on, but was instead received as a gift to his parents. Name him Jesus. And in the same way, we receive Jesus' name as a gift in our baptism. But his name, not our own, is mighty to save. Jesus has saved you from your sins by attaching his name to you. He's made it personal. Yes, Jesus' name was not easy to decide on, but Jesus' name was not easy to decide on, but please pray for my wife, myself, and our unborn child that their naming, boy or girl, will be as simple in the moment as it was for Mary and Joseph when our child comes this June. Amen.